0: You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. What do you think's the worst
1: relationship you've been in? Jeez. guy, you want me to get personal, huh? I don't know. <laughs> this one right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Probably uh I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had a relationship. You know, I'd say
1: when I was like a my first girlfriend probably. Okay. There's nothing wrong with her. It just you know
0: it, it's always it's the person to that always just to go, goes south because it's a so to stupid. Go well, yeah. Yeah, it never it never works out. I remember when I was in uh when I was in college, I I was going out with this girl, and I didn't think I, I didn't have a girlfriend. Um, but she disagreed, <laughs> she, and I like found old, out
1: like the old Mitch Hedberg joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: I, I I found out she was my girlfriend when she introduced me that that way at a at a party. This is my boyfriend. I was like, oh, okay, and I and I realized that, and we uh we ended up breaking up, and but we had remained friends, and I. I went and saw her one time afterwards, after we had stopped going out, and asked the question that you never, you never should ask, which is why did you know what was wrong and what did I do wrong or whatever it was. Yeah, you know. why did we break up? Why again? did we break up? And you know, most people are polite and they go, "Oh, you know, it's not you; it's it was me, it and it didn't just didn't work, work out." out yeah. You know, and there are people, you know, that's you're very polite about it, you know. And uh, she did not do that. She, oh, she gave you the reasons. She told me all the reasons, and it took a while.
1: I was going to say you were there all night.
0: <laughs> no, It took a while. It's, uh, and, uh, but it but it helped me understand. Oh, there are some things I need to be more aware of. Things you know, I need to you know, if I'm in a relationship, there are some things I'm doing that I think are just totally fine that aren't fine. And so it really helped me begin to evaluate. How, you know what is my part in a relationship? Yeah, because you always have that.
1: Well, our guest today knows a lot about relationships, so she's here to help us. Tiffany Denny is a compelling storyteller, best-selling author, and podcast host dedicated to empowering others to take initiative in their relationships. With over 15 years of coaching expertise as the co-creator of the Relationship Recovery program, she reaches audiences worldwide through social media, live events, and the Relationship Recovery podcast. Tiffany's impact extends beyond her program. She authored a number one new release on Amazon, launched the Reclaim You app, which offers tools, resources, meditations, and support for those recovering from negative relationships. Her work has earned recognition in esteemed publications, including Vogue, Shape, Newsweek, and The Influential. We talked about emotional awareness in relationship, setting and adhering to appropriate boundaries, Uh, common traits of toxic relationships, and how improving your relationships can improve every single area of your life. So stick around. You'll laugh a little bit. You'll learn a little bit. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. I'm really happy to have a relationship expert on here. I mean, I work with my dad every day. So (laughs) we're. this is... You look um, at
0: getting out of a toxic relationship. Yeah,
1: this is is where all of my problems are sourced right here.
2: (laughs) They they all step the the generational traumas right from there, right?
0: (laughs) And all of your benefits too. So let's let's give credit where
2: credit's (laughs) How cool is that though that you guys do this together as father and son? I think that's really a... Neat opportunity. Well,
0: well we, we ended up having these conversations over coffee and, and dinner all the time. We thought, you know, why not just record this and, and maybe somebody might find it interesting. <laughs> we'll yeah, see.
2: I've we'll watched see. several episodes and I really, really love how your dynamic is and you're great. So thanks. That's nice to hear.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We, we we're kind of nerds. I mean, we talk about these things anyway, like he was saying, uh-huh. so it felt natural for us to put a mic up.
0: And yeah, video, what we video cameras. What we found was that when we love talking about decisions, you know, I used to tell Sanger when, when he was growing up, you know, we would look at somebody and say, "Oh, you know, that's that's unfortunate. They're in this bad situation," and we would always trace it back to the decisions they had made, and so we, we would judge people. Oh yeah, oh, really? that's what he's saying. <laughs>
1: To say it that sounded horrible. I didn't the say way that. you said that
0: sounded awful. <laughs> well, maybe it was awful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe it still is. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I remember that, that, he used to he used to tell me, um, you know, if, if we were talking about someone who had, you know, found themselves on on hard times, you go, well, they're not a bad person. They just made bad decisions, and everything was always about decisions, both good and bad. You know, good people who had positive outcomes, you framed it as, well, they made good decisions. And so I started to think uh, in my personal life and as a professional, what about decision making other than simply making the right or wrong decision is uh, important because we don't always know what the right or wrong decision is.
0: Yeah. I think when we started this, we thought it would, there would be a formulaic answer to uncovering good decision versus bad decision. And you know, it turns out it's a lot uh-huh. more complicated, than that. especially oh, yeah. in
1: relationships.
0: Yes. Yeah, and just just like, you know, that's how we got into decision making. You know, you got into kind of relationship work, uh, probably a, a similar journey. Tell me tell me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So I've been in working with relationships for about oh, close to ten years now. Um we we started our company in 2016, but prior to that we were just volunteering and and my business partner and I Worked at the same company, so that's how we met. And I, I'll never forget. She walked in my office and she said, "She says we should start a an event and a marketing business because she was in the marketing department and I was over events for this company." And we thought, "Oh, great, we'll do this." We'll and we we would have our little meetings, and we thought this was going to be such a a great booming business for us. And really, what happened is I had just gone through a divorce, and she was just going through a divorce. And we noticed that we were leaning on each other and we kind of looked at each other one day and said, one day we should really help other people that are going through this because this really sucks. Like this is horrible to have to go through this. And so as time went on, we just thought both of us just had this kind of this intuition that this is really the path that we needed to take rather than do this event and marketing business and so we formed the relationship recovery and we started by putting up an Instagram page and just putting quotes on there and all of a sudden there are people going me too me too you know I'm in this bad relationship or I'm trying to get out of it I don't know what to do and um, but the interesting thing is that come full circle we now do lots of events And we do lots of marketing. Uh So our original decision to, you know, not go that route has come full circle. And that's, you know, a part of our business. But um, one thing I thought was interesting when you were talking about decision making, when I see, we see men, women, um, relationships with business partners, relationships uh, with family members. People will say, you know, and especially if those relationships are really hard or they're toxic and people will say, how did I how did I get into this relationship? You know, how did I do that? And I think the truth of the matter is, is that it, it this kind of relationship trouble doesn't you know, you're not immune to it. It can happen to anybody and it happens to all of us in some respects in a, a relationship of any kind that we might, you know be in in our lifetime so i thought that was interesting when you were talking about decision making
0: yeah yeah i am I'm, I'm glad there are people like you who do the work around relationships because you know clearly they're they're key right to everything that we our relationships with spouses family friends coworkers, ourselves god you know if you can get good at relationships you can you can really advance forward i i started doing some work years ago in uh got a designation called a certified divorce planner and looking oh. at the financial aspects of divorce and equitable settlements and those types of things and, and how wealth was divided up in a separation. And, and I, and I have a, a friend who, who works in that field. Now I found that for me, it was too emotionally charged. You know, I would have people come in and there would be uh, they would be at high states of emotion Uh, And it just made me uncomfortable. I just, I'm like, oh, I'm not cut out for this work. (laughs) You know, I'm just, so I'm I'm glad that you are. uh, And I'm glad that there are people who are. Both my parents are in that type of work. Uh, But it was, it was not for me. Uh, But I, I found that when, when people are exiting a relationship, there are, there are red flags they've missed along the way, usually. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. and they, maybe should have gotten out earlier and they stay too long. Do you find that people are just kind of walking past these red flags?
2: Yeah, definitely. And and it's not until you get out that you really can look back and go, wow, you know, I, I either missed oh, that or was. I ignored yeah, that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then what happens too, what I see is I'll, I'll see a client come in and maybe they're not, you know, haven't left the relationship completely, but then I walk, you know, with that, them on that journey and that they finally get out and they can see those red flags but what happens is when they go to date again everything looks like a red flag to them and and so they are actually oh, they some become of those,
1: hyper fixated on they finding do. the red flag yeah okay yep
2: they do or so nothing they, does or yeah or yeah exactly <laughs> well and then you know some things we call them green flags but they almost feel like red flags to them too it's really hard for them to you know you differentiate mean? um just, you know, somebody might have a healthy behavior that um, to them feels like love bombing. So maybe this person's just really nice and caring and giving, but they're so fixated that this person's going to love bomb them and they're going to be back in this toxic relationship because that's usually how a toxic relationship begins is what we it's call love, love bombing. bombing. Uh-huh. So what is and,
0: love bombing? So it sounds nice.
2: Yeah, it does sound <laughs> nice. It feels nice for a few minutes and then it feels like too much. So, so what will happen is when... You have somebody that perhaps has like narcissistic personality disorder um, and they start dating that person. Um, Love bombing is a very common manipulative tactic and they'll just shower you with gifts and love and affection and tell you that you're their soulmate and they knew you in heaven and all. That's a very common term actually that they'll use. And then.
1: They knew you in heaven?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really common. and, And I'm in Utah, so probably is a cultural thing too um, but it the soulmate part also is a very 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 common word word that they'll use and then what happens is once that phase is over then it goes into the next phase which is um, kind of the devalue phase and then it goes into the discard phase where they kind of are starting to move on to another relationship and, the, and then they go it, what we call it hoovering and they try and like suck that person back in so that's kind of an abuse cycle that happens um, in these types of toxic relationships that we deal with um, every single day. So,
0: so how, how do you determine the difference between someone who is starting the beginning of that cycle, the love bombing and and, and all of those types, you know, the, the things yeah. you mentioned, versus somebody who's just really nice?
2: Yeah. So that's that's there's where that comes into play, where that person that's been through that type of relationship before When somebody's just kind of nice to them, it just feels really intensified to them. So for me, when I'm working with somebody like that, it's a matter of processing through it, talking through it. I can see things differently than they can see. So we just, you know, have to just kind of baby step into those relationships. And eventually, uh, as they do enough work on themselves and they start to heal that past trauma from that relationship, they start to be able to, you know, regulate their nervous system and feel way more comfortable in that new relationship and they can really pull apart whether they're seeing red flags or if it's just, you know, normal relationship problems.
1: And that, That's an incredibly important role that you were able to play because you don't, you are not swayed by the emotions, right? The right. advisor in this dynamic isn't swayed by, mm-hmm. oh, but he's so good looking and he's yes. so sweet. and Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. you're looking at it objectively, which is similar to how we as a wealth advisors can deal with. Um our clients at high emotions too is go, oh hey, I know that, you know, yeah, hot stock your brother in law told you about is gonna completely change your life. You're gonna retire on it, but let's hold back a little bit. You know, the excitement yeah. isn't at play anymore when we're talking.
2: Exactly. I think and that's I think that's why it's so important for people to have, you know, in the financial aspect to have advisors like you and me in the relationship field just because you can see it from that point of view, and so you know. I think that it's great that there's lots of people doing this type of work out there.
1: Have you heard of this term, the beige flag, on the internet lately? No,
2: no, I have not.
1: Oh, okay. I well, maybe it's not a technical thing, and more of it's it's just a comedy bit that the kids, <laughs> the kids these days are doing. But but uh, they'll be like, you know, my my husband's beige flag is he'll spend. Four hours in ikea and intentionally loses me so he can get one of those uh you know cinnabon rolls or whatever and it's like not really a bad thing so it's just it's like a really neutral thing, thing
0: just a fan <laughs> yeah, it's
1: just a thing he does oh that's funny
0: <laughs> well I, I think there are plenty of just normal things people do these flags you talked What's about in? that if, if I'm looking through a lens where I'm afraid that someone is toxic, I'm afraid someone's love bomb, I'm afraid someone's going to leave me, I, I've got insecurities, then I'm probably going to turn a lot of these beige flags, as you talked about, into red flags. And I'm mm-hmm. going to react negatively, mm-hmm. uh, inappropriately to yeah. these to these innocuous things.
2: Yep, absolutely. I mean, just on a, like a personal note, for me, when I got remarried, I had, you know, I'd been to some therapy and I thought I had done a lot of work on myself and I just didn't know how to be in a healthy relationship. And so I was used to a lot of chaos and and I would start to push buttons that didn't need to be pushed. But every time something would come up, I would like overreact and I would do exactly what you're saying. I would turn that beige flag, so to speak, into a red flag. And that would give me reason to kind of create the chaos in my relationship. So it took a while for me and a lot of work for me to be able to be okay and know and feel like I was worthy to be in a healthy relationship.
1: What does the work look like?
2: I get asked that a lot. So the work to me looks like finding the modality that works best for you to be able to heal that relationship, because at the very end of the day, the most important relationship that we're ever going to have is the relationship that we have with ourselves. And so whether that's reading good books, whether that's listening to podcasts, whether that's going to therapy, whether it's coaching, there's lots of different modalities, but it's doing that intentional work that is helping you heal from what you've experienced.
1: When you say modalities, what what are the different types of modalities?
2: In therapy, I see really good results when I have a client because I'll, I have a lot of clients that do both coaching and therapy and I feel like that's such a fortunate thing to be able to do. But with therapy, things that work really well when you've experienced trauma is EMDR therapy is a really good modality. Um, I have clients that are doing ketamine treatments that seem to be working really well uh, with coaching. Um, we do lots of different um things within coaching. We really work with somebody to um, help them build their foundations of healing. They've lost a lot of, you know, just those good foundations. Like, what does your day look like as far as energy? Are you, you know, putting energy into yourself? Are Are you raising your levels? Um, we work on a really good mission statement. We work on self-sabotage because that it plays a big role in, you know, sabotaging our, our healing. And we work on codependency and boundaries is a big, huge one that we work on. And then we move into clearing the trauma and we do that through meditation and uh, tapping and those kind of things. And then we just really focus on helping somebody move on and move forward in their life. So with coaching, I think it's a little different than therapy. Well, it is very different than therapy, but the big difference is, is we're trying to help you move from point A to point B.
1: Yeah. You're, you're holding them accountable, providing actionable, steps that someone can work toward. It, it seems to me like the, the first step right, is awareness. I have to aware that I have this codependency issue, for example. Um, and that is the first step from my anecdotal evidence, when I observe people who are open about their uh, therapy work, et cetera, that they've done, is that it feels like people stop at the awareness step, And don't move into the healing step. (laughs) And um, what's the key? First of all, is that that as big of a problem as I'm myself observing? And then two, what do people do to move past awareness to actually doing something? Because that seems way harder.
2: Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think what happens to us is, at least from my own experience with therapy, is it was so good for me in so many ways at the very you know first part of when i got divorced and i was trying to deal with things and i may, it did make me really aware but it was just a lot of what i found myself doing was just going to the session and talking about the past and it didn't seem like i was doing any work to like move me forward so i feel like it's really important for a person to become aware and then actually have to do something to move themselves forward and it's kind of this continuous thing and I really see people um, when when we have you know a session. At first, it could be a lot of like talking and just you know going over the past and that kind of stuff. But my goal is to get them to not focus so much on that, but focus on themselves and be very actionable in what they're doing. And and I hold them very accountable for it in the next session that we have. So
0: I have I have found that uh, people hate that. You know, you, I remember when when my kids were growing up and there, there would be a disagreement and I would say, well, what do you, th- what do you think you did that initiated this problem? Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything. It was all that other, per- it was that boy that threw the rock or, you know, it was not, it was not me. Yeah. But what do you think, what could you have done differently? I couldn't have done different, anything. There's a big resistance to that, that acceptance or even the exploration of what lies within your personal responsibilities and what choices you made, um, which doesn't mean that the other person wasn't at fault. It just it's a useful. It doesn't exercise. mean it
1: doesn't mean they weren't
0: more at fault than you. Right, right. Yeah. But but it, it, they could have been a hundred percent at fault. Yeah. But there's still value in exploring what could you have done, because it helps you think through. It helps you get better next time. And getting to that point of being where you were self-aware, where you're exploring your own decisions is a helpful development.
2: Oh, absolutely. This is such a huge one because usually when somebody comes to me, they've been in an abusive situation and, you know, whether it's physical or emotional or psychological and yeah, the abuse was wrong. Absolutely. But when we're in a relationship, we're still contributing. And when you can take ownership of your part that you played in it, it almost just releases you and it allows you to start to heal because you can stand up and say, you know what, this is where I was contributing. This is what I don't want to do anymore. And this is what I'm going to change. It takes a person a little while to get to that point. But when you start to see that happen, that's what when you asked me earlier about what doing the work looks like, that's what doing the work looks like. Is really owning it so that you can move forward.
0: How, how would you tell the difference between someone who is psychologically abusive? I mean, it, it's clear if somebody's physically abusive, this is, yeah, or even verbally abusive. How do I tell if somebody's psychologically abusive versus just being an asshole?
2: Yeah. So typically, it comes in the form of gaslighting. That's where we see it really shine um, when somebody is is gaslighting the other person and really making them feel like they're crazy and really disrupting their reality. That manipulation and that tactic is powerful and it um, you know, I know that gaslighting gets thrown around a lot. It was the word, yes. word of the year last year and it gets misused a lot. But when somebody is truly psychologically abusive to somebody else, that's what's happening is they are they're controlling, they are taking that person and making them feel um that their reality isn't, isn't real. And then what happens to that person is it ends up bonding that, it creates a a trauma bond and it causes that person to stay with them. So that's what the abuser is doing is trying to get that other person so off centered that they don't leave them. And so that's what psychological abuse looks like.
1: Is it as well planned as that sounds like or is it someone who's protecting their own innocence or denying reality
0: yeah Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. hey
1: i got caught doing i got caught cheating i'm gonna try to make you seem crazy because it makes me get away with it not because it's like an elaborate scheme
2: yeah yeah so i think it's a little bit of both i think there are people out there that are really just you know have their intent is to you know hurt and harm people and then i think there's people out there that you know, just are trying to, they probably experienced their own stuff in childhood and they were perhaps raised by somebody that way. And they're just, that's how they live their life. And, and so I think there's probably a lot of both of it.
1: So a lot of these elements of uh, toxic relationships we're talking about, or we're obviously talking about the context of romantic relationships, but how many of these themes carry over to other relationships, whether it's friendships, you know, Relationships with coworkers, business partners, Mm -hmm. even children that you see?
2: Oh, all the time. We see it across the board. Probably in this last two or three years, we've had more people that have come to us with relationships within business and family. And that's kind of been fascinating because when we started, we were really... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> why did you hit me do we, do we need to book a just session just want to make sure you're
2: listening <laughs> do we need to have a session after we do our uh, podcast i just use it um but yeah we see we see so much of it and it's been eye-opening because when we started we was we were slowly working with women and then it moved into working with men and women and couples and now it's any type of relationships friendship we see a lot of that as well
1: i i guess I'm I'm kind of hypothesizing here is where it would be most damaging is where in those relationships where we rely on others for something, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's there's hard for someone. Yeah, there's some dependency and, and it's going to be hard for a toxic person to do a lot of harm to me if I don't depend on them for something, whether it's emotional support or financial support or, and and if you're in business with somebody, well, yeah, you're, you're depending on them a lot. Obviously if you're mm-hmm. married to them, that's, the most you could depend on one another but um what what is different about these non-romantic relationships if anything when compared to the dynamics of a romantic relationship when it comes to the toxic traits
2: yeah you know not a whole lot that's what's interesting about doing this work and seeing it from different perspectives now and and different types of relationships that there's not a lot of difference and I think it's kind of fascinating too, because when you have somebody and you're in a relationship and one of the partners really, really toxic, it creates like you're talking about—you you you're, you depend on them. But even further than that, it can almost create an addictive um, pattern with somebody else, and it and that's why these are hard to you know like break up with, whether it's romantic or whether it's business or friendship. Um, I have um, a client that was in a really toxic relationship with a, a friend and it it really didn't look much different than a romantic relationship at all, especially her trying to get out of it. And um, because we know that when we're trauma bonded to somebody, that when we leave that relationship, it's they, they've they done brain scans and they can take a brain that's coming off of heroin and a brain that's trying to, you know, be done with the relationship to that person and the the scans look the same so we know that it is actually an addiction that happens to another person so separating and being done with those relationships no matter what feel the same and it it's it almost makes you like not only mentally it's debilitating physically it's debilitating too. your body goes through an an, um, an actual withdrawal
0: so what is a trauma bond explain how that forms
2: Okay so it's, it's, it has on okay. so it's kind of like Stockholm syndrome. Um, if you know what that is, where, you know, somebody can be kidnapped and then they spend enough time with that person and they depend on that person and rely on that person. And by the end, they're protecting that person. So trauma bonds kind of similar in the fact that we, we get into this relationship and, you know, it seems great at first and then it starts that cycle. So it's good. And then it's you know, bad and all the fighting happens and it's abusive and those kind of things. And then what happens, and this is the key to the trauma bond, is when it comes around that other side of the cycle, it's almost like a carrot is being dangled in front of you of hope, you know, that it's going to get better because it does start to feel better. And in fact, people will describe that, you know, when things are really bad within the relationship, as soon as that partner reaches out and is, is kind or nice to them, they almost feel this like relief it's almost like their their drug but that that little carrot that gets hung out there of hope that it's going to be better and then it doesn't get better and then it goes back around into that cycle again and it just every time it goes around you just get bonded to that person um even tighter and so when you go to leave that's when that withdrawal kind of happens is that it and, and it makes it really hard for people to get out so when people say if it's so bad why didn't you get out sooner that's why that's typically why is that it's just it's, So are you you're saying
0: that if if somebody's in a toxic relationship and there are these momentary flashes of hope in other words this person is acting in a toxic way but oh they they brought me flowers they're nice they're a nice person they did this you know nice thing for me that, that it's that hope that creates in this in essence sort of a dopamine hit that that, that person is wanting to then experience this again is that is that how you're
2: saying? so the hope that the that, that person's gonna change, they they just they hope that their partner's gonna change because they see the good. And so yeah, so that's what they're they're basically just living on this idea of, oh, you know, see he he or she can be nice to me, they're good, I see the good side of them, and then they they stay that way for a little while and then it goes back into the abusive side of the cycle and And it just kind of does this over and over and over until somebody is uh, ready to get out of that. And when they go to exit that relationship or think about, you know, I need to be done with this, then it really becomes a problem because it's they're literally addicted to that person and, and they have to go through that whole experience of getting away from them.
0: So I, I can see that also, as you were talking about, Sanger, in a employer-employee relationship as well, why people stay in. I, I had a client who stayed in a just a miserable job that she hated for yeah. years, getting underpaid, and she, she just wouldn't leave. I mean, she yeah. kept thinking it was going to get better. She was going to get a raise. They were going to open a new store. They were going to hire help for her. And it just never happened um, in, in spite of my urging.
1: Yeah, the, the same kind of defenses get get brought up right well but you know they're working on this in and, and, uh-huh. and it's easier to see from the outside a lot of the time hey you're you're getting underpaid right you told yeah. me last week about how they yelled at you because you made a simple mistake um
0: right you're over making you work yeah. <laughs> or giving you overtime <laughs>
1: without any extra pay there's no retirement benefits what the heck are you, you, yeah, what are you doing it here it yeah. sounds crazy um but but it can it can happen to to anyone when they get caught up in that cycle, because it doesn't ever start that way.
2: Absolutely. And from personal experience, uh, I worked at the the same place I met my business partner at. It was really great when I started there. And then it just had some toxic, toxic things, Um, toxic people, toxic um, behaviors of, of people there. And all of a sudden I, I, started to feel like, wow, this almost feels like what my past relationship felt like. You know, it felt very, very chaotic. And, but for some reason, it also felt good to be there. It felt familiar, right? It just felt like, oh, and so I stayed there a lot longer than I should have stayed there. Uh, Just because, you know, it was, there was promises made and I thought I was going to, you know, move up and, you know, it just, it didn't happen. So yeah, it can be exactly the same.
0: So how do you deal with, I mean, other than leaving a relationship that you're deeming as toxic? And I, and I think toxic is one of those words that gets tossed out it a does, lot, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and there are people who are, I guess, toxic the way I would think it or, or interpret it is they're intentionally doing some things to manipulate me uh, that are that are negative versus just being a jerk, right? Uh-huh. Uh, where it's unintentional, perhaps. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but. How do I deal with that and modify my own behavior and make my own decisions on how I'm going to act other than exiting the relationship? Because I, I think there are some people who maybe can't just pull the ripcord. You know, right. there, there are
1: situations yeah, You've where, had children with this person. They're going to be in your life to some degree. Right. Or, or I, I need
0: this job, yeah. you know, and, and this is what uh-huh. I... You know, so I, I'm in this relationship. I'm going to be in this relationship for a while until the end is out there sometime in the future. So until then, how do I deal with this toxicity?
2: Yeah, and and you know not that's the thing too. I we get a lot of people that come in and that say, you know, I I I don't know. I don't know if my relationship's really bad or if it's, you know, if it's me or what, you know, what I'm looking at. And so we'll never tell somebody to leave a relationship unless they're being physically abused because, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of of looking at it and going, okay, do I need to strengthen my boundaries? Do my goals and my values align with, you know, this person or this workforce? Um, So really taking a look at where you're at and what you need to do to be able to be inside that and create a space that is more healthy for you. And so just, it, it really falls back on you doing those things to make sure that you can be within that relationship and still be somewhat healthy. And also, where am I contributing? Am I part of this problem? You know, looking at those things. And we have a great little course called Should I Stay or Should I Go? And in there, we have a ranking scale. And it's, you know, just one to 10. And we ask those questions in there um, so that people can really see on that scale of one to 10, where does my relationship line up? You know, is it in line with what I want for my future? And it really gives a A visual layout for somebody to be able to determine you know if they need to stay there or if they need to go but if they if they're gonna stay there's many things you can do to strengthen yourself
1: yeah have you kept up with the jonah hill saga recently
2: oh a little bit that woman
1: seems crazy okay well i'm (laughs) very interested to see the difference in perspectives right well explain explain the situation so jonah hill the actor from uh Wolf of Wall Street, super bad, curly-headed fellow. He was dating this woman, and a a year or so after they broke up, she posted a bunch of screenshots um, and kind of attacked him and said, hey, he is narcissistic. He is emotionally emotionally manipulative. And I looked at some of the texts, and my take, and again, I think in some ways we're I'm biased because I can't imagine someone I can't imagine the perspective of someone who is toxic right so when they are it's like I don't know my tendency is to believe that people can't act that way so I yeah I, I tend to dismiss it more often than maybe it really is happening um but it it, it I look at the text messages and I go well
0: well, and maybe and I seemed, wouldn't say maybe I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say
1: it that way maybe I wouldn't have an issue with this or that it's a little clunky it's a little cringy it's a little awkward but geez it's not it's not as bad as you know, what a lot of other things that I can imagine. Now, that's my take. I'm not defending him. I don't know. I wasn't there. Well, I wasn't, his, but his I'm, text, I'm, I'm interested to hear what Tiffany says. Well, because,
0: his, his text to her, were, I guess she was being a little bit overly, in his opinion, flirtatious on Instagram or whatever. And there were he a lot of things. Though. Yeah, and that's he was basically saying, hey, if, if we're going to be a relationship, this isn't what I'm looking for, and maybe uh, this isn't right. If If this is what you want to do, that's fine, but it doesn't work for me. And he was saying, hey.
1: There seems to be a real yeah, gender it, divide, Tiffany, in this. In this.
2: Okay, so full d- disclosure, I've seen it come up in my feed. Um, I have not read into the text. And the, the funny thing is, is we are on break on our podcast. We, we start up in a couple of weeks and we always do a Hollywood hot take. So this would have been our Hollywood hot take that I probably would have taken the deep dive into. But full disclosure, I have not. Um, that's the thing. And it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to pull things apart, too, in text messages. Because, you know, yeah. we
1: well, there's there's a lot of a lot of um, there's a temptation, I think, by the general public to give a verdict uh, in mm-hmm. like entirety. Right. And say, oh, mm-hmm. this person is in the right or this person is in the wrong. OK, I want to read the text. This is the most popular okay. of the texts. OK, you don't have to come up with a verdict. Right. But I, I most people have, which is what amazes me based on this one text. Okay. So this is from Jonah Hill. Plain and simple, if you need surfing with men, boundaryless inappropriate friendships with men to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to post sexual pictures, friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful, I am not the right partner for you. If these things bring you a place of ha- bring you to a place of happiness, I support it and there will be no hard feelings these are my boundaries for romantic partnership My boundaries with you based on the way these actions have hurt our trust. Now the problem that it seems to me, most people are having on the internet with this is they are saying he is misusing the term boundaries. Other criticism is that these things maybe shouldn't be an issue for him as well. But what are your thoughts on?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't to me. I mean, just with that, it doesn't, I wouldn't have pegged that as misuse of boundaries that it seems like he's being I he's being clear at what he wants or what he he expects out of a relationship but he kind of by the way he describes those things he's kind of picking at her too as far as like yeah you know at her character I guess it almost feels like that to me um yeah, I'm gonna look into this a little bit more though. I'm now very curious about it. Yeah, if you what's need to be on. a
1: drunk imbecile every Friday night, then maybe this isn't the right for me. This yeah. is my boundaries, though.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> oh, hey, wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean
2: because yeah, because he's clearly stating what he what he needs. So I mean there's that, but yeah, the way he positions it is So then I can see what, that.
1: What what are boundaries? Because that's what I've heard a lot particularly a lot of women tell me is oh well he was misusing the word boundaries and that was manipulative.
0: Okay. When you go, what are boundaries? When you go from having porous boundaries to firm boundaries, the people who were used to going through that that boundary don't like it.
2: Absolutely, they hate it. Yeah, they do not like that. That's how you know that that a boundary needed to be there is when somebody gives you that pushback, and and they don't like it. But boundaries are just it's simple for me. I mean, you have you have a physical boundaries, you have emotional boundaries. But basically, I just think of it as a no trespassing line. And it's where, you know, you know, you stay on your side of the street, I'll stay on my side of the street. And this is, you know, this is what matters to me. So, you know, physical boundaries would be, you know, how people like in your physical space, You know how sometimes people will stand too close to you and it just feels awkward and uncomfortable. Um, that's somebody that's violating that boundary. And your boundary is, you know, I don't like that. You know, I need more space. Um, people going through your phone. That's a big one. That's a, you know, big boundary violator is when somebody picks up your phone and, you know, goes through it and it's not theirs to go through. Emotional boundaries are just basically they are when somebody um, you know, crosses over into your emotions and um doesn't respect how you feel, doesn't respect what you say. Um, so, so yeah, so bound man. boundaries are just, they're, they're important to keep so that we, um, you know, we are protected and we keep our space and we we feel safe and secure. And when somebody crosses over them and violates them, then, you know, we're not really living true and authentic.
0: How, how do you determine if, you know, and I think first it's good to have clear boundaries. Yeah, I think that's good. That the people that I know who have clear boundaries are some of the emotionally most healthy people I know. How do you know if you're setting those boundaries or calibrating those boundaries appropriately versus, you know, maybe I'm, I'm being too hard on this person or I'm, you know.
1: What's the difference between, I mean, yeah, the difference between boundaries and controlling cuz what most right people that i've talked to have said who have a problem with what he said in that text message they say well this isn't a boundary this is controlling behavior because it's about what she's doing boundaries are for yourself
2: yeah well i think you know it's it's true boundaries are f- for ourselves but they're also for others you know you have to have you know clear concise boundaries on what's okay for you and what's not okay you know, I can see where it can come up and feel controlling, but really a healthy boundary putting it that in, in place means that, you know, hey, this is what's okay for me and, and if you don't like it, then, you know, sorry, but I'm not trying to control it. I'm just trying to say that, you know, this is this is my right to what I need and and what you don't get to cross over.
0: So, uh, Tiffany, I have a a final question for you. What would be your biggest single decision-making tip for business owners and leaders?
2: My my single tip would be, you know, realize that everything about your business is based on relationships. So, relationships with your customers, relationships with, you know, your employees, uh, co-workers, those kind of things. And I think that. Making a decision to invest in yourself and your mental well-being so that you can have that a good, healthy relationship with yourself will really be what served you best. Because when we have a healthy relationship with ourselves, it makes it so that we attract other relationships that are healthy and we hire people that are, you know, within what what we want to see within our own company. So that would be my best decision tip.
1: Thanks, Tiffany. Where can people find you and uh, connect with the work that you're doing?
2: You can find us at The Relationship Recovery on Instagram and all things social media. Actually, our website is just therelationshiprecovery.com.
1: Thanks so much for being here, Tiffany. Tiffany, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You're
2: welcome. Thanks.
0: So my takeaway from our discussion with Tiffany is that maybe we should have an extra episode uh, once a week where we just uh, do the Hollywood Minute and you just analyze, you know, what's going on with the uh, with the hill <laughs> or something. <laughs> but when we when we look at decisions around relationships, I, I think the the key that I took away is that everything we deal with in relationships, whether it's toxicity, whether it's gaslighting, whatever it is that it is ultimately our issue to solve, that it starts with our relationship with ourselves and how we are reacting to what is going on. And it's not the other person's problem to solve. It's not our issue to solve that other person. But what are we doing and what can we change? Because that ultimately at the end of the day is the only thing that we can control. And so that's what we ought to focus on.
1: Yeah, we have a choice to be uh, victims or we have a choice to be in control of our own destiny and being in control is... Much better way to live. My takeaway is on boundaries is that we should have them. Um, Having boundaries even before a relationship is toxic, even in a relationship that's never been toxic, uh, boundaries should exist and uh, that can help keep things within the appropriate guardrails. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith and this is Decidedly.
0: Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational
2: purposes, not personalized advice.